The Provi is shedding its old skin. Provident Financial, the FTSE 100 subprime lender, best known for its home credit or doorstep lending business, actually now makes 60% of pre-tax profits from subprime credit cards, provided through its subsidiary Vanquist Bank. The division's growth has driven half a decade of outperformance for the Provi's share price, but that halted last year as credit card bookings fell and domestic concerns arose. So what's the next leg of the growth strategy? I'm the IC's company's editor, Ian Smith, and joining me is Provident Financial's chief executive, Peter Crook. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Ian. So we're going to talk a little bit about home credit, regulation, the investment case for Provident Financial for the private investor that we write for. But let's start with Vanquist, the most important driver of growth and uh, most profitable division within your company. Um, As I said, new customer bookings faltered in 2016 compared to 2015. There were around 406,000 for new customer bookings compared to 433,000 the year before. You said in your results that there are a couple of quite specific reasons for that. Can you go into that in a little bit of depth? Yeah, thanks, Ian. So, I mean, Vanquist has had a terrific run, as you point out. It's been the the engine of growth, really, for Provident Financial since the, the post-financial crisis period from 2010 uh, onwards. So what we've got to with Vanquist is we've gone through something of a, uh, a re-look at the strategy uh, for growing the business, uh, in particular... I've hired a new managing director for Vanquist, Chris Sweeney. He joined the business at the start of 2016. So under his leadership, we've had a pretty thorough look at the growth plan in particular. And growing Vanquist's business really involves growing customer numbers, which is largely about finding new customers, obviously, and keeping the ones that you have. So what we did in 2016 was really work through a, a review of our distribution channels in particular and in doing so we quite deliberately held back some money from the marketing spend during the first half of 2016 in anticipation of having some new things and some more effective programs to spend their money on in the second half of the year and that's actually what uh, what we managed to achieve so overall customer bookings were were down a bit on 2015 but the second half had really good momentum and that's carried through into the first quarter of this year and indeed we've now outlined our uh, plans for a uh, bigger growth opportunity at our recent capital markets day. So it was the face-to-face channel in terms of the distribution channel where you had some problems. Can you explain uh, what was happening there in terms of the it was the new business that was being acquired wasn't quite up to the level of profitability that you wanted? Yes, I mean, the thing about the face-to-face channel is um, it can produce a higher number of inactive accounts. So it isn't a channel where customers proactively seek you out and apply like they do online, for example. Customers are approached to take a credit card, but then if they don't subsequently go on and use the card, obviously we don't make any money from that transaction. Is it worth just explaining the typical user of a Vanquist um, credit card um, and where you typically get them from? Yeah, so people are using a Vanquist card primarily because they've probably got a uh, a credit history with some problems in the past. They're, they're over their problems now, but unfortunately that will still count against them uh, amongst most mainstream uh, credit card issuers or the high street banks. So people either have a uh, some issues in their credit history or there's another population who are relatively new to credit, so what we'd call a, a thin file customer. So there's not much on their credit history. There's nothing bad on there, but there's nothing good on there either. So they're a bit of an unknown quantity and Vanquist has a model which can serve both types of, of customer. Now we find most of our customers online. That's the the channel of choice really for many people. So over half our new accounts are through people applying directly to our website, but we also use direct mail programs, either paper mail or email. The face-to-face channel is quite small. 
relative to the other channels, but we are also developing some uh, new routes to market, working with partners who could be other um, mainstream credit card issuers who don't have the risk appetite or the systems to serve the customers we do, uh, working with some retailers and also working with some intermediaries. So there's a number of new channels now coming into the mix. So in future, I mean, you, as you said at your capital, at your recent Capital Markets Day, you outlined um, future developments and how you're going to grow the Vanquist business. Tell us about the major steps you're going to take. Okay, so at the Capital Markets Day, we've upgraded the guidance for Vanquist. So we previously guided the market to expect a business with 1.8 million customers and an average balance of £1,000 over the medium term. So medium term, think three or four years. Uh, We've now refreshed that guidance, uh, underpinned by these new distribution initiatives, to to guide to Vanquist becoming a business with between 2 and 2.3 million customers, with the average balance rising to between £1,000 and £1,100. So that puts a range on the receivables in Vanquist of somewhere between 2 and £2.5 billion. So significantly ahead of the £1.8 billion guidance that we provided previously. Are there any totally new distribution channels you're trying what are you going to do to get those higher customer numbers well we touched a bit on partnerships with other lenders retailers and intermediaries probably one of the bigger things that we're doing is we're also putting um, a new proposition into the near prime segment of the market so Vanquist has focused uh, at the higher risk end of the credit spectrum uh, but there's quite a large uh, market segment where we've not really punched our weight in what we call the near prime market so this is just a little bit below on the credit spectrum where the high street banks are. So we've created a new product called Chrome. So Chrome is uh, is out there. It has been since uh, late last year and is now beginning to, to garner uh, good volumes of new business. And one of the attractive things about Chrome is that we've implemented what we call uh, a soft search capability. So customers can apply for Chrome and we'll see whether they'd be accepted without leaving a footprint on their, their credit file. And that's quite important to people who have perhaps been turned down by other lenders as typically if you leave a footprint on your credit file and you're turned down, that will count against you in terms of your your credit score, which seems a little bit unfair really. Is It's not as though you've gone into arrears or defaulted. You never even got the product in the first place. So that's proving very popular with customers um, as they can apply for Chrome, safe in the knowledge that it won't hurt their credit history if they're turned down. Sure, and I think we're going to come on a little bit later maybe to talk about the FCA and what they're talking about when it comes to credit cards. I just wanted to ask you about the cost of some of this growth at Vanquist. For your cost base in 2016, that included £6 million um, to support these kind of initiatives that you're talking about, this rate of expenditure you said would continue into 2017. Is the kind of growth we are looking at for Vanquist over the medium term higher cost than the previous growth? Well, some of that cost is about investment, really. So it's about building new capability and the new distribution channels. Uh, but the um, the guidance that we've given, uh, in particular around the size of the business, obviously will deliver a, a much larger and more profitable business. Now, in terms of, of the returns that Vanquist makes, uh, we've guided through the medium term to the returns moderating to between the 12 and 13% uh, return on asset level. Vanquist is currently making a little bit nearer 14% return on assets. So the new business that we're writing is still a very attractive business at very strong returns, but the returns will moderate a little bit versus uh, where they were, and that reflects in part the investment to get at the uh, at the, at the growth. 
Another change you're making is to that traditional home credit business that I mentioned in my introduction. You're repositioning that business. You're changing the way uh, that you manage the the doorstep agents within your business. Can you explain why you're doing that and how that will support the profitability of the group? Yes, yeah, so we, we've been on a bit of a journey with our home collector credit business really since late 2013. So we, we have gone through a repositioning of that business, recognising that customer preferences and behaviours have really moved towards online lending and uh, and credit card lending. Uh, plastic remains very popular. So there isn't the sort of growth available in the home credit business that there is in our other businesses, but it's still obviously a key contributor to the group's profit. So rather than pursuing a, a growth agenda for that business, we've been looking a little bit more at uh, an efficiency agenda. Now, there are still a, a good number of customers, probably two to two and a half million consumers who like the home credit model and it suits their circumstances, perhaps because they're in part-time temporary casual employment, perhaps less structured employment than a Vanquist customer might be, for example. But we've been having a good look at whether we can run that business better than the uh, traditional model. And what we've decided to do is actually to... Um, to serve customers through a fully employed workforce. So we're looking at having 2,500 customer-facing full-time employees, and that will replace our agent network, which was set at around 4,500 agents, obviously many of whom were uh, were part-time. Now, the benefits for, for our customers are, um, th- this is really at the heart of why we're doing this, uh, we think it will provide them a better service because customers can now choose uh, when they're seen, so if you're one of our customers and you want somebody to call around on Wednesday about a new loan, we can't necessarily deliver that service today because our agent might not work on Wednesdays. It might only be a, a Mondays, Tuesdays and Fridays agent. With a full-time workforce, obviously, we can schedule uh, customer visits when the customer wants to be seen, not when it suits the agent to uh, to go sure. around there. So, so we're aiming to provide a better level of service and in doing so, probably write a bit more business and probably collect slightly uh, better There are also some cost savings as well. So in moving to a fully employed workforce, we can route and schedule the work and we're putting in some new software to organise all the activity more efficiently so we can do it with fewer people. Um, So you're now looking to reduce also the number of uh, agents you have overall? Yeah, so we've got about 4,500 agents today. Now many of those are part-time, so the full-time equivalent number is probably something more like 3,000. So we're going down to 2,500 uh, also, so there are some efficiency savings now. Obviously, we're investing a bit of that in terms of a fully employed workforce. There'll be sick pay and holiday pay and pension contributions and so on. But net net, uh, we still expect to get a significant uh, cost saving through efficiency. That self-employed model is one that you said at your Capital Markets Day in your presentation. It has served the business well for many years. Speaking to some of your competitors, um, it is a model also that a lot of agents, according to your competitors, like working on. Is is there an execution risk with this, that some of the agents don't want to go across to that model, or there's a disruption to your business development over this period? Well, I think there's always a risk when you go through a change like this, and it's fair to say some of our agents who are part-time won't be interested in, in a full full-time role. What I can tell you is that uh, obviously we're some way down the track now with this process and well over 3,000 agents have applied for one of the new roles uh, in the company. So it doesn't look like we'll be short of, of workforce on the ground. 
I want to ask you about your competitors. We had your previous boss, John Van Cuffler, who's the CEO of Non-Standard Finance, in the studio here a few weeks ago discussing that company, came to market in 2015, and as you know, now owns three businesses in the subprime sector. We also had uh, Morse's Club listing as well. Um, So there's a couple of options out there for private investors to invest in. There's also uh, some newcomers or new faces in terms of Non-Standard Finance running competitive businesses in your space how is that affecting you in terms of your home credit business yeah there's no discernible impact in terms of competition in home credit i mean you have to remember that those businesses were pretty well run under their previous owners so what's happened is they've gone from private uh, to public so they're both uh, listed on the stock market now but uh, the landscape hasn't actually changed those businesses have been around a long time it's just the ownership that's changed in terms of going from private to public sure it's fair to say though that those businesses see a opportunity for themselves in your reduction in agents they've explicitly stated that as um, the largest uh, player in this space reshapes in its operations there's an opportunity for them to pick up agents and therefore pick up business referred by those agents yeah i guess we see it slightly differently so we think we'll have the best customer service by some margin as we can actually uh, be in front of the customer when it suits the customer not when it suits the agent uh, to visit so i mean we're trying to compete in the market based on having superior customer service not just on recruiting more agents and you talked about the growth opportunity on offer and i understand that's the primary driver in refocusing or focusing ever more on vanquist is part of the reason a perceived higher regulatory risk around doorstep lending well i think the bar's been raised right across the consumer credit industry under the fca so um, there aren't any rules peculiar to the home collector credit business, but I think it's fair to say that um, every consumer lender who previously operated under a consumer credit license you know, is now facing a much tougher and more onerous regime since the FCA inherited responsibility for consumer credit in 2014. And there has been uh, reports or suggestions that the FCA might follow up its crackdown on the payday lender industry by looking at the longer term high interest loan uh, sector. It referred to this area in its mission statement. So I just wanted to ask you whether you thought it was likely that we're going to see a crackdown either on the lending requirements or even the practices in this sector in, in, in terms of the doorstep lending business. Yeah, so the FCA is, uh, is running a high-cost credit review right now. I mean, that was... Uh always in the plans as it's a follow-up on the rules and price controls that were implemented into payday lending back in um, early 2015. So what the FCA has decided to do, I think, is to broaden the scope of that review and look at other forms of high-cost credit, including unauthorised overdrafts, which was uh, passed to them by the, the CMA's work on personal current accounts. So so no surprise in what the FCA is um, is doing. I think the thing to bear in mind, and I think the FCA are well aware of this, is that um, if you over-regulate and push too hard on any segment in the market or more broadly across the market, um, you'll get what Andrew Bailey's called the waterbed effect. So if you push down too hard in one area, the problems will resurface elsewhere. And I think Andrew's observed that the the crackdown on payday lending uh, produced a higher rate of arrears on council tax and utility bills. So you can imagine if there's a crackdown across a broader spectrum of the consumer credit industry, there's a real risk that uh, illegal lending will will flourish. It's at a relatively low level um, today in the UK and 
the illegal money lending team based in Birmingham, which we support, has done some great work in tracking down illegal lenders and trying to keep them out of the market. But I think part of the equation there is making sure that there is a legitimate regulated industry out there to serve high-risk customers and obviously you know without that there then illegal lending could be a, a risk of growing significantly. And just finally also the FCA at the moment is looking at uh, the credit card market it's looking at persistent credit card debt it's also looking now at irresponsible lending in the motor finance market where are you most concerned in terms of the regulatory impact uh, potential on Provident over the short term from uh, the Financial Conduct Authority? Well, I think the credit card market study has just about run its course. Uh, there are some final remedies out for consultation on persistent debt and on uh, credit line increases, which are largely as we expected. In terms of the, um, the review of car finance, I think the issues there perhaps more in the prime market. Um, if you look at the growth in car finance, there's been a huge amount on PCP, personal contract purchase, which is mostly around new vehicles and by definition, therefore, prime customers. So we don't really expect the um, the focus to be on the money barn uh, business, which is obviously in the, um, the used car market and much lower tickets. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Ian. You can find further analysis at investorschronicle.co.uk.